Thank you, guys. So how many people know uh, the website or the book, uh, Humans of New York? Okay, a few people. <clears throat> this is a very popular website. It's a, uh, and book now, but it's uh, full of pictures of kind of normal, ordinary people uh, from New York City. The author, the photographer gets around, takes pictures of people, and then there's usually a story that's attached to it. Um, sometimes it's just a phrase, sometimes a, uh, an insight, sometimes it's just a humorous line from the people who are in the picture. They get to share it. So um, because of copyright things, I can't show you the pictures, but I'm going to tell you a couple of the pictures or describe some of the pictures and give you a couple of quotes. Some are lighthearted. I remember one uh, that I just laughed. I actually didn't include it in my sermon, but I'm going to include it now. This guy with a big beard and it has a cane and just says, revolt. So, <clears throat> okay, that was his line. But there's a, there's a picture of a, a middle-aged guy in plaid shorts, tennis shoes. He's got a bunch of file folders in his hands. And his quote is, my ultimate goal is to reach a certain level of adulthood where I can afford to be a child. That's his line. Or, or the picture of a dad with his son, uh, and dad's dressed in graduation gown and cap. Son's got this big blow up uh, globe in his hand. And it says, to the world, you may be uh, only one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Um, and, or this teenager and a, about a seven-year-old in sweats, and they both have basketballs, and their line is, be someone you'd want to be. Or a man who's inside a nursing home, uh, he's visiting his wife. His wife's in a wheelchair and she's holding this yellow teddy bear that he's just given her and he says this, I visit my wife every day, even when uh, the mind is gone, the heart shows through. Or the picture of an elderly woman, she's, she's under an umbrella, she's got a black beret on, and she says, when my husband was dying, I said, Mo, how am I supposed to live without you? And he told me, take the love you have for me and spread it around. That was his line. We, we kind of like, we love books like this. We love websites like this. We love hearing people's stories, don't we? Sometimes because we like to see how crazy they are. And sometimes it's because there's great insight in them or humor in them. And we can relate to those stories because they, they speak to our lives as well. I think a lot of times we're, we have this hunger for understanding. We have this hunger for wisdom that these stories speak into our lives. And so we have a hunger for that. And so I want us to bring that hunger to Job's story today. Uh, a hunger to understand where wisdom and understanding might come from and, and in Job's life, how that might help us in our lives. So as you know, we've been preaching a, a four-week sermon series on Job. This is the third week, and uh, it's called Strength to Suffer. And suffering's not uh, what any of us want to invite into our lives, is it? Uh, but it's a reality of our lives. I mean, evil is real, and it comes knocking at our door uninvited. And the text we're focusing on today is from Job 28. Uh, Brian read that for us earlier. And it's, it's really a poem. It's a poem seeking wisdom. And it happens right in the middle of the book of Job. It's kind of a break. There's, there's a, you know, Job's story, then there's all this lament, and then there's this poem, and then there's a bunch more lament and God speaks. But uh, in the middle of it, there's this, um, this call from verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? That's the question of today's sermon. So let's just review Job's story again, in case you missed the first two weeks. Here, here it is in a nutshell. He's a wealthy guy. He avoids evil. He lives a good and righteous life. 
And George mentioned two weeks ago, we have the kind of this split screen into Job's world and into God's conversation with Satan in heaven. Uh, one in, uh, and, and God and Satan have this talk about Job. I mean, Satan doubts that Job can remain faithful if he doesn't have as many wonderful things in his life. And God says, no, I think he'll stay faithful. So God doesn't prevent Satan from uh, tempting or bringing evil into Job's life to test him. And so it comes. In one day, uh, all Job's livestock are either stolen or destroyed. His servants are, are killed by invaders. His 10 children are killed in a storm as a house collapses. And he's devastated. He tears his clothes. He shaves his head. But he still blesses God in prayer. So kind of the conversation and the split screen continues. God and Satan talk about this. And round two begins with Job's health under attack. He gets these horrible skin sores. He's discouraged. And his wife even encourages him to just curse God and die. He didn't do that. But instead he laments. These laments begin. And so 37 chapters of lament. Uh, it's actually some of the most beautiful writing in scripture. But it's lament. Um, and also there's mixed in with this are Job's unhelpful friends uh, and their unsolicited advice in these pages as well. And so kind of right in the middle of all this lament, there's a break. And that's this wisdom poem uh, that we have here. And Job ultimately is trying to answer, uh, to get God to answer him. I mean, he wants to understand. He wants to understand. He wants wisdom in the face of this kind of terrible suffering that's come his way. And, and finally, God does answer in this story. But he does it by asking Job a bunch of questions. Kind of uh, stops Job in, his, Job in his tracks. He reminds Job that God is God and Job is not. And ultimately, uh, Job continues to fear God and depart from evil. Now, this, this term fear of the Lord is an interesting one. Bruce Walke, who uh, used to attend here for years, uh, is an Old Testament scholar, a very noted Old Testament scholar. And he writes about the fear of the Lord really is, is something that's interchangeable with the love of the Lord as, as kind of the true expression of a religious experience. So the conclusion that is in this whole thing of Job, is, is this whole book of Job, is that, uh, that loving God and departing evil, that's what wisdom is. Then there's this restoration for Job and, and his family and his wealth. Um, and Job then has a chance to act like a priest to his friends and help forgiveness come to their lives. And there's a concluding prayer that JJ is going to talk about a bit more next week, so I won't spoil that. <clears throat> but really, here's the simple sermon in, in this text today. Christ, or crisis intensifies our need for understanding and wisdom. God is the source of wisdom and understanding and the deepest wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. That's the sermon. Three points. So let's dive into this first one a little bit. Crisis intensifies our need for wisdom and understanding. I mean, Job has all this suffering, right? So he asks questions in the face of the suffering. Uh, he laments the injustice. Why this injustice? He asks. I mean, why is God letting wicked, letting wicked people prosper and while well, Job and countless others suffer? He wants to know. He wants answers. And Job wants to confront God and complain to God, but he can't seem to find God physically to complain to him and, and to make it stick. So this crisis uh, intensifies his need for understanding. He wants answers. Now, I don't know if you've had uh, major crises in your life that have kind of stopped you cold, but we certainly have in our family, and I think most people have or will have. Uh, we had a cancer diagnosis in our family. My daughter was diagnosed with leukemia when she was three and a half. 
And things get really clear in those times when you get news like that. What's important becomes really clear. And also the need to understand where God is, is in the midst of that also becomes very real and a lot more urgent. Now, many of you know, uh, side by side, this great ministry here at UPC, um, where we have the opportunity to walk alongside families that are suffering um, with the illness of a child. And one of the camps we have is called Winter Weekend. And at the first winter weekend, we noticed something kind of amazing. There was this hunger. And it wasn't just the, the hunger for Camp Islandwood's food, which I imagine would be great because it's amazing food. Uh, but there was a different kind of hunger. The parents had this intense need to be together, to talk, to hear each other's stories. We would look around and keep asking, where are all the parents? Uh, well, they're talking. They're together. They're talking. I mean, hunger for understanding, hunger for wisdom, hunger to make sense of this, uh, or even just to survive it. I mean, health crises, marriage crises, employment crises, family crises, community violence crises, financial crises. I mean, all these heighten our desire to understand uh, and to have wisdom. So where do we look for this kind of understanding, this wisdom? Well, in Job 28, he points to several places where, in many ways, it's not found, right? They, the, in Job's day, the, the high-tech industry was mining. And so they basically say, <clears throat> um, but wisdom and understanding of this kind are not found in the depths of the earth. So, so much for high-tech. And even with everything they were capable of, they weren't able to understand. It wasn't, oh, Job wasn't able to understand um, what was wise or why, make sense of this thing in his life. It was elusive was not found in the depths of the sea. In verse 14, it says, the deep says it's not in me and the sea says it's not with me. And you can't buy it, right? Verse 17, gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. Well, think about it. In our age, we have all kinds of information at our fingertips, don't we? I mean, how often are we pulling out our phones and Googling something, just a random fact we needed to know, something we wanted to know? All day long, we're looking this stuff up. We constantly are looking for things. What's, what's the name of the person who, um, uh, what was the date of, uh, what's that place that, what's the top 10 places to go for lunch? Uh, what's the best route to, I mean, there's so much of this just more information, but so much of the time, it's not really more understanding or wisdom, is it? I mean, more information does not equal understanding. I mean, with this huge crisis that Job has faced in his life, the death of his kids, all 10 of them, the loss of his wealth, the loss of uh, his health, and on and on. I mean, understanding and wisdom is not more information about the storm that killed your kids. It's not knowing the exact wind speed of the, of the storm. It's not knowing which wall caved in on them. That's not information that brings wisdom or understanding. But I do think one place we, we look for understanding is wisdom from friends. And for one week, Job had some good friends, right? They came, they sat with him, they grieved with him, they cared for him, and they were silent for a week. There were no answers. And then they got impatient and they began to offer unhelpful, unsolicited advice, as George mentioned last week. And I, I'm struck by uh, an insight in uh, Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, where he made the observation that many people need uh, other people who are going through crisis to get better. They need them to, to move off of that place of just staying in the crisis. 
if they stay in that place of grief or lament too long, some friends need to fix them. They give unsolicited advice. And if they don't change these friends, if these friends don't change, um, they will distance themselves because the anxiety for those friends is too great. They just move away. They don't know how to cope with it themselves, so they move away. And that's not very helpful friendship, but it's reality of many friends. They don't know what to do with it. And Job's friends were like that. But friends can also be a tremendous source of help, don't you think? I mean, especially as they sit with you and listen to you and not offer unsolicited advice or counsel, especially in these huge crises. I mean, the ministry of presence is very powerful, isn't it? Uh, my wife and I were in a couples group a number of years ago, and we had what you call a season of Job in our group. I mean, in a two-month period, we had a father dying of pancreatic cancer, a child born with a physical disability, our daughter diagnosed with leukemia, several miscarriages, all in two months. Uh, it, we, we kind of joked in that season, it was kind of dark humor, right, of who should we invite to our small group now? <clears throat> I mean, no one wants to be part of that. But the wisdom that came from our group was actually kind of amazing. We realized that we would get through this time of suffering because we had God and we had each other. And this group had an instinct to point each other to the source of wisdom and understanding in our midst of suffering. And they, that's what a good friend is in the midst of suffering, isn't it? And that really brings us to our second point. God is the source of wisdom and understanding. So when deep suffering comes our way, when you get right down to it, uh, the, the questions of why, of what, of how, oftentimes are not answered. Instead, we get the answer of who. And Job is no exception. I mean, God asked Job the questions, right? Who laid the foundation of the earth? Who is the creature without understanding? Obviously, Job. And amazingly, that can help us in our suffering. It helped Job. I mean, the story begins with Job asking the question, uh, you know, why this confusing or this God was so confusing and so arbitrary. And really, in the end, it's... Uh, it ends with his new appreciation for God's mystery. It ends with Job uh, continuing to put his hope in the Lord, even though he doesn't have answers to all his questions. So in the first sermon uh, in this series, George referred to uh, theologian uh, Dr. James Torrance. And Dr. Torrance uh, talked about holding three things together. The first was God's power. The second was God's love. And the third was that evil was real. And that's the classic statement of the problem of evil. I mean, God is all-powerful and all-loving, and yet evil exists. It's real. And often we start like Job. We ask the question of why evil? Why in our lives? Why for our children? Why for someone we love? But so often the answer to that question comes back differently. God created the universe in us, unique, each of us one, each one of us unique. God loves us. He's our redeemer, our savior, our hope. And we experience suffering. And we don't know how to make sense of it at times. I want to tell you a story about uh, a, a former elder at UPC named George Scott. George died a year ago, but he was an elder maybe 20 some odd years ago. But each year at our session board retreat, we have two elders stand up and tell their story to the whole group. And George told his story at this retreat. And as part of his story, he, he talked about the loss of two of his young adult daughters in separate accidents within a year. 
And I just was stunned. I had never heard it before. An incredible tragedy. I mean, think of it. This, this evil of untimely death had visited their family. And he shared, and after he'd shared, and we were having a meal together, I, I asked him, um, George, did you just keep asking the question, why, Lord? Why my girls? And he told me that was certainly one of his big questions. But then he, then he shared something to me. He said, as time passed, something changed for him. He said he experienced so much of God's love in the Christian community around him through meals, through prayer, through kindness. He felt surrounded with care. The community demonstrated God's love and they pointed to powerful and a powerful and loving God. And George said they leaned into that as well. And he said, you know, after a few years, the question of why just didn't seem as important. And the answer we get to our why question is often who. I mean, Job finally comes to that place as well. The fear, the love of the Lord, that is wisdom. Depart from evil is understanding. So in the face of this suffering, we ask the question, why? But what Job realizes is that God is the source of wisdom and understanding. And staying close to him when there are no answers to the why questions, that is wisdom. And that brings us to our third point. The deepest wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. In Job 19, 25, Job says, For I know my Redeemer lives. I mean, even in this ancient text, Job knows that God is Redeemer, the one who saves. The fulfillment of that Redeemer role is Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the ultimate who in the face of evil. In our text today, verse 22 says, Abandon and death say, We have heard rumor of wisdom in our ears. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. And that way is Jesus Christ. And the wisdom of God is in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. And he says this, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Christ holds wisdom and knowledge in the face of our suffering. He's the one who came to save us. He's the one who came and suffered too. And he's the one who proclaims the kingdom to come. That kingdom where suffering and death will be no more. What will remain is God's power and love and not evil. But that's the future, right? As we suffer, we learn. We learn more of God's love in suffering than in our prosperity, I think. It doesn't make evil good. It's just true. God's awesome love is most visible on the cross and in the empty grave of Christ. This is the wisdom of God incarnate. He meets us with his power and his love as he conquers death and despair. One more side-by-side -side story. <laughs> As we close, I mean, often I get a chance to ask the dads at Side by Side <clears throat> some questions. And these dads are walking through, obviously, deep waters of a sick child and a stressed out family. First of all, I remind them that they are kind of a unique group who all know these dark times. And that they are um, the ones who know what it's like. And that they're a huge resource for each other because a lot of people don't necessarily know what it's like to have that happen in their lives. And so I ask them, what are you learning uh, where are you finding encouragement? 
And oftentimes, here are some of the answers that come back. God does not let me go. You can hold two things at the same time, great sadness and great hope in God. God loves my kids more than me. God has provided so much love and encouragement as the churches come around us. And in so many ways, they've answered, haven't they, like Job? Who is the answer? The fear and love of the Lord, that is wisdom. To depart from evil, that is understanding. Let's pray together. Lord, you are powerful. You are the God of the universe. You love beyond measure, and you see it, we see it in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we suffer. We suffer, Lord, and you do too. And you hold on to us, and we hold on to you. And that is wisdom from the depths. In Jesus' name, amen.